Hello, I'm Kylie Fisher. Welcome to Let God Speak. In our current Bible study series, we have been looking at a three-part message that prepares the world for Jesus' return. This message leads to the final climax in the long-standing war between good and evil, between Christ and Satan. All people living on earth will respond to this message by choosing to be in one of two groups. One group will follow Jesus, the Lamb, while the other will follow the beast, the representative of Satan. We will let God speak to us through the Bible today as we identify key characteristics of these two groups. Today, we have Hannah Nakagawa and Rod Butler. Welcome, Hannah and Rod. Hello. So let's just bow together before we begin our study. Dear Lord, we're so grateful for the truths that you have committed to us in your word. Please, dear Lord, send us your Holy Spirit today to guide our thoughts, to help us to understand these vital and important truths particularly as we see the events that are happening around us that fulfill these prophecies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Revelation 14 verses 6 to 12 is God's final call to a dying world. The power and glory of this gospel invitation is represented by three angels flying in the midst of heaven. The first angel announces the time of God's judgment. This message came to prominence in the decade leading up to October 22nd, 1844, the date when the judgment actually began. Tragically, however, many people closed their hearts against these, the discovery of these new truths. To sustain their beliefs, they adopted false and inconsistent interpretations of Scripture. The confusion of these self-contradicting doctrines is depicted in the Bible by the symbol of Babylon. From about mid-1844, God began to call his people out of this confusion. This is the second angel's message. Today we move to the third angel's message. This message is found in Revelation 14 verses 9 to 12. Verses 9 to 11 contain a very solemn warning, the most solemn warning in all the Bible. Verse 12 describes a group of people who heed this warning. Hannah, could you read that verse for us, please? Sure. And identify for us the first characteristic of this group. Sure. Revelation 14, verse 12, the Bible says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The first word that was used to describe God's people was patient or patient. Um, so God's people at the end of the time, they will be um, endured. But um, the original word in Greek, um, the, the word hupomone, 
the uh, patient, which is better translated as steadfast endurance. So God's people would have the patience and endurance. Okay, fantastic. So they will be loyal. They will be true to God right to the very end. Yes. Now, Rod, the next part of the verse describes in a little bit more detail just how it is that these people endure. And they have a couple more characteristics there. So would you like to expand for us a little bit on those next characteristics of this group? Yes, Kylie, when you go through it, it says, here is the patience of the saints, which uh, Hannah just spoke about. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Mm-hmm. There's two things there, commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Today, many people don't think that the law is important. It's all about faith, faith, faith. Mm. But this text tells us that little conjunction, the word and, means both are important. It's not the commandments of God or the faith of Jesus. It's and, both of them. Mm-hmm. This last day, people have both. And it's connecting that the commandments connect to faith. Now, Paul has things to say about this. I'd just like to uh, turn to a few texts here very quickly, just two texts. Sure. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 31, he says, Do we make void the law through faith? This is what we're saying. God forbid, yea, we establish the law. So he's mm-hmm. making this point. The law is still very important. Mm-hmm. And when you uh, go across just to chapter 6 here of uh, Romans, and in verses 14 and 15, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Well, mm-hmm. some people say there's no law. We're all under grace. Mm-hmm. But then he says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. So he's saying that because there is sin, there's a law mm-hmm. and we are not to sin, which is mean we are to keep the law. So these last day people have those two characteristics. Right. Fantastic. Yes. So it's not just commandments or faith. The two go together, the two work together. And the verse also describes uh, and links something particularly to faith, and that is Jesus. And Jesus is our perfect example. So let's just think about faith and commandments in terms of Jesus. Hannah, what was Jesus' response to the commandments? Did he keep the commandments? What was his attitude? Mm. Sure. I, I want to read two verses. One is Matthew five seventeen. Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus clearly said, I didn't come to destroy this. Um, other verse, we find it in John chapter 15, verse 10. The Bible says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So throughout Jesus' life and teaching, um, it is very consistent. His law, um, Jesus upheld God's law. He never said, "Um, don't worry. He said he always uplifted God's law. And he kept God's law so perfectly. He lived a life obedient to God the Father. So even his enemy, they were, um, they hated his life because he was sinless. He was um, without any spot. So his enemy hated um, Christ for his purity of his life. And that is why they were trying to kill him as well. Mm. And Jesus' death on the cross is really his ultimate example of faith in God. Mm. And so, Rod, can you tell us a little bit about 
faith and Jesus' experience on the cross and how does that relate to God's end time people? Well, when you read through what Jesus went through in Matthew 27, it's, it's harrowing, um, mm. the, the suffering that he, he encountered. Mm. When you get to, I'm going to read Matthew 27 and verse 46, and bearing in mind that um, he'd been on the cross for several hours, yeah. it says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, remember, Jesus, as Hannah was saying, lived his whole life was so close to God. Mm. Mm-hmm. And suddenly he's with the sins of the world on his shoulders on the cross and God is withdrawn. So in his mind, he thinks because he's suffering. Mm-hmm. However, he's thinking God has forsaken him, which means to be abandoned or to be deserted or helpless. Mm-hmm. But because he'd prayed in Gethsemane, thy will be done. He didn't just, his body screaming to you know, come down from the cross to ease the pain and the suffering, but he didn't. He went through it. He died on the cross, an agonizing death for you, for all of us, for me, so that we could have salvation. Mm. So his faith to follow through and do what God said, mm. God's will be done, he prevailed. And why is that important for us? Because the last day people, they too will face terrible times. There are terrible times coming for God's mm. people with persecution. And even though our feelings might be screaming to just walk the other way or it's not important, we are to prevail and to hang on to God and to um, not let go and be faithful, even at the peril of our lives. Okay, wow, fantastic. So God's people remain loyal to him right to the end. They Mm -hmm. keep the commandments of God. They have the same faith that Jesus had, the Mm -hmm. faith that enables them to keep the commandments. But Tell us more about this peril that they'll face, Rod. What, what sort of peril are they going to be exposed to? Well, if we go to the book of Revelation. Okay. Uh, yeah. Revelation tells us a bit about this peril. There's, there's going to be a deadly persecution mm. right. at the end of time. Okay. And I'm going to pick up um, from Revelation chapter 13, verses 15 to 17, I'll read. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Mm-hmm. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that hath the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. This is talking about a deadly persecution that affects the whole world. There's nowhere to hide, nowhere to run to. We're all in this. The whole world will be against God's people in these last days. Mm -hmm. It'll start with economic problems um, or sanctions, Mm -hmm. which will extend to the fact that you won't be able to buy and sell. So you could go hungry. There could be terrible hardship here Mm. and it'll end in a death decree. Mm -hmm. So this is for the whole world uh, to suffer if they want to follow uh, Jesus. Right. Wow. Yeah. So it's going to be really unprecedented. And with the way that governments are now uniting and the way that they can so easily control uh, economic things, um, where nobody yet has received this mark of the beast that it speaks about there. But we're starting to see events lining up that make this scenario seem Mm. really plausible. So it hasn't happened yet, but it's really plausible and it may not be very far away. So 
This is really just such a relevant, relevant warning for us. And, you know, during the time of Esther, there was a similar law that was made. Mm -hmm. And when King Ahasuerus realized that his beautiful queen Esther was going to be destroyed along with all of her people, he asked who would do such a thing? So we could ask the same thing, Hannah, who in, would persecute God's people mm. at the end of time? Who would do this? Does the Bible tell us anything about that? Yes, it does. Uh, let's read Revelation 13, verse 1 and 2. It says, Then I stood on the sun of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten clans, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. So here the beast rise from the sea and he received his power and authority from the dragon. And who is the dragon? Well, Bible explain itself. Mm -hmm. um, Revelation 12 verse 9 says, so the drag, a great dragon was cast out, the servant of old called the devil and Satan who deceived the whole world. He, he was cast to the earth and his angel were cast out with him. There's one more verse in uh, Revelation 20, verse 2. Similar verse, it says, He laid hold on the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So the dragon clearly here is talking about Satan. And um, John 8, 44, we know that uh, it says that Satan was the murderer from the beginning. So his attack on God's people at the end of the time is his final expression of his um, hatred toward uh, Christ and his people. Okay, yes, all right. So we can see there that clearly the dragon is Satan. So answering our question, who is it that's doing this thing? The adversary and enemy is that old serpent, the devil and Satan. So he is the ultimate originator of this decree. But Rod, you know, how does Satan work and how does he achieve his goals? I mean, a lot of people think that Satan is like a red devil with a pitchfork. Or, you know, is, <laughs> is he just going to appear? How does he achieve his goals? Well, he certainly uh, has a pitchfork and a red devil in the cartoon. <laughs> in real life, I mean, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that marvel not, uh, Satan will transform as an angel of light. Oh. What he does Satan disguises himself and he works through organizations okay. and systems. Mm -hmm. And we know, for example, from if you go through uh, chapter 12 of Revelation mm -hmm. and uh, verses three to five, it talks about how uh, the power of Rome tried to destroy Jesus as a baby. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to the end of Jesus's life, <coughs> excuse me, we have the power of Rome. Um, a Roman governor condemns Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, he's got the... Um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes pushing that government, but the Roman governor um, condemns mm. him. Mm -hmm. Then you have he's crucified uh, by the Romans. And then at his tomb, there's, there's Romans uh, soldiers around his tomb. Mm -hmm. So this Roman power was uh, involved in Christ's persecution at the beginning and also in his, his death. Mm -hmm. And this, um, this power, um, it then transformed, transferred its power we know from pagan Rome, it went into papal Rome. 
Mm. This is where it gets a bit tricky because um, once we get into papal Rome, we're starting talking about religion and churches and things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, the sea beast in, in Revelation 13, um, which is, gets its power from the dragon, and we know this sea beast transfers its power to papal Rome. Mm. And that's significant. Yeah, okay, fantastic. And I think that you made a really good point earlier, Rod, that Satan works through organisations. And so it's really important that we recognise that we're talking here about the policies of an organisation. We're not wanting to point the finger at any individual or person, but it's the organisational policies that we're really talking about um, because sometimes individuals find themselves caught up in systems that they might not recognise, um, yeah, and comprehend, you know, the full and, and policies. Christ yeah. died for all individuals. That's right. Mm. So there's systems out there, but Christ died for the individual. That's right. And so Christ is calling all of us. He's in the Bible. He's revealed to us these truths that we need to know for our personal salvation. And so let's just have a look at some other identifying marks of this power. So, um, Hannah. Yes. Yeah. If you can read um, for us Revelation 13 and verses four and five, let's have a look at these other identifying marks of this power. Sure. The Bible says, so they were Worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, "Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him?" And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for forty-two months. Mm, very interesting characteristics. Um, well, we know that this organization is both um, polit- po- political but also religious. How do we know? Because we know that it says that one of the characteristics, speaking great things and blasphemies. Blasphemies, Mm. yes. Okay, so let's just look at that. Uh, What Mm. is blasphemy and does the Bible have a definition for it? Rod, would you like to tell us a bit about that? Well, the Bible certainly does have a definition for blasphemy. if, if I can read that from um, John chapter yeah, 10 and sure, verse, yeah. verse 33. This is again, uh, you know, Jesus being pursued by the scribes and Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It says, the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy and because thou being a man makest thyself God. Mm-hmm. So this is saying that if a man on this planet uh, calls themselves God or makes themselves to be a God, that is blasphemous against our creator God. Mm. And it is interesting that um, currently the head of the uh, Roman Catholic Church has claimed that prerogative to be Mm -hmm. God on earth. Mm. And I just want to quote something here, Collie. um, Mm. um, In the great encyclical letters, Pope Leo XIII, and Leo XIII, he was a pope that reigned, I think he was the fourth longest reigning pope in Catholic history for yeah. 25 years from 1878 to 1903, yeah, yeah. which is not that long ago. Yeah. He wrote, we hold, that is we the popes, we hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty. Mm. That's an amazing statement to make um, for, for a person to make as a pope, yeah. that they are God Almighty. Some people say, well, that's an example of blasphemy. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, yeah. Mm. All right, fantastic. And also blasphemy maybe includes uh, not only claiming to be God, but also assuming some of God's powers yes. or, you know, claiming to assume them. Yes. Um, well, yes, assuming them rather than actually having them. So, Hannah, have you got a verse for us about the a power that belongs to God? That's sure. Yeah, we can find it in Mark chapter 2. And, well, Jesus said in verse 5, just a context, He said, the Son, your sins are forgiven you. And verse 7, uh, these scribes are thinking this way. They are thinking, in Bible says, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sin but God alone? So actually to say you'll um, forgive the, the power of forgiving sin, um, if the man claimed the power, uh, well, Jesus has the power, but, yeah. yes, but if the man claimed to have that power, then that is a blasphemy for sure. Mm -hmm. um, well, because, yeah, because only, only Jesus has paid that penalty as mm. well. And through confession of sin to priests, for example, or through indulgence or penances, the Roman church claimed this power that is only God's. Mm -hmm. no, no human being can have that power at all. But in doing so, significance of Jesus' death is actually um, marginalized. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Now, what does the Bible teach about confession of sin? Do we need to confess to another human being uh, like a priest or maybe to Mary? Um, Hannah, do you have a Bible verse about that? I think you were mentioning that you've got 1 Timothy 2 verse 5. Yes. This is a very beautiful verse, actually, my favorite verse. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5, for there is only God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's no one between God and us, only Jesus Christ. Okay, fantastic. All right, so it seems like at the end of time, the whole world is going to follow the beast. That's what Revelation 13 verse 3 says, that it says that the whole world wandered after the beast. But Rod, do you have for us Revelation 14 verse 4? And what does it reveal to us? Will it be absolutely the whole world that follows this beast? Well, the response will be the whole world, except a tiny little remnant okay. which have those characteristics of keeping the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Revelation 14 uh, and, and verse, verse four, 4 says, These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are they which follow the Lamb with soever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. Now, in, in the Bible, a woman represents a religious system. Mm. This is talking about the pure woman. There's a there's a polluted woman in Revelation 17. But this is God's. This is a pure church, and these these ones are the ones which have not um, uh, fornicated with their religion with other mm. uh, pagan religions. Mm -hmm. They are the ones which have been true to God, mm. and they follow God wherever He goes. They do not um, comply with the the decree, and of course they're persecuted. Yeah. Okay. That's and that, that makes the sea beast very angry. <laughs> yes. Okay. So because there's a woman on the sea beast, which is the harlot. So they haven't. Yes. Um, yeah. It know. makes the harlot very, who's on the sea beast, very angry. Correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So they're yes. loyal to Christ. Yes. They don't 
go with the harlot or with the beast. Correct. That's right. So um, they're the same group actually really described in Revelation 14 and verse 12. And so rather than receiving the mark of the beast, they receive something else. And so Hannah, what does Revelation 7 and verses 2 and 3 say? Yes. The, yeah, so these, these actually these two verses, these are our key texts for today and they're really wonderful verses to memorize. Yes, it says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Praise God. So we can see that here there's a seal of the living God. Well, they wouldn't have the physical uh, <laughs> like a mark on their forehead, but they would know it because they are um, obeying God's commanding, including the fourth commandment. All the laws, they are true and loyal to his law. Okay, fantastic. So, yeah, so as we've been saying, they're the ones that are true and loyal to God and that's really what distinguishes them. And so it's really interesting that the angel ascends or in other words, rises from the east. Um, so Rod, does the Bible at all talk about something that rises in the east that tells us about God's power and that actually um, obeys God's laws? There is, and um, in that um, Revelation 7 verse 2, that rising from the east, some translations translate it, and a more literal translation is from rising of the sun. Mm. And if you go to Psalm 19, mm. I'm just going to read a Psalm 19 verse 1 and a, uh, verses 5 and 6. Mm -hmm. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. And the second part of verse 4 says, In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, or a home or a dwelling mm -hmm. for the sun. Mm -hmm which is as a bridegroom coming out of its chamber and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and the circuit unto the ends thereof. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Now there's wonderful spiritual significance in the sun because it's, it's heat and energy permeates everything. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately that wonderful spiritual significance of the sun in the last days will be corrupted because people will worship the sun mm -hmm. and they, their eyes will be off. Uh, the Lord and I'll worship the sun. So sun worship will predominate. But, but the sun as a, a metaphor for God is very, very strong. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much. So as the sun obeys its creator by obeying the laws that God has made for it, so God's people will live by God's laws and they will do this even in the face of death. And a verse that I actually really like is Proverbs 4 verse 18. Hannah, would you just briefly read that for yes. us? It says, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. Thank you so much. And so as the sun rises um, until it reaches the highest point in the sky, the perfect day, so God's people be perfectly transformed at the end to his image. So at the end of time, God's people will face unprecedented pressure to give up the faith of Jesus, saving faith that enables them to keep all of God's commandments. They will endure to the very end when evil men unite with evil angels to destroy them and wipe them from the earth. They will exalt God's holy law 
and will receive the seal of God by keeping the seventh day Sabbath holy. They will follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Thank you for joining us on Let God Speak. All past programs plus teachers' notes are available on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Email us on lgs at 3abnaustralia.org.au. Join us again for our program next time. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.